Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well. Um, someone said to me, oh, all those things you say on the podcast, you just make them up. No, these are actual things that happen to me, I'm afraid. I'm not making them up. I wish my life was just a bit more ordinary than, than that, but never mind. Anyway, so no calamity this week. The only thing was I'd got some brown paper because I decided I was going to be much more environmentally sound. And I had to wrap a birthday present. I was going to wrap this present up in brown paper. I thought that'd be very good. It looks so nice on the photos. I don't know about you, but I think it looks so nice on the photos. Um, so I thought, right, we're going to wrap this up. Can I tell you how many pieces of sellotape I had to use to get this thing to stay down? Oh my goodness. It became an environmental disaster, I think, by the end, because I just had to use so much sellotape. I just put a piece of sellotape, stuck it on, and the thing pops up again. So you do a few more and a few more. And in the end, you know, a reel of sellotape's practically gone. And you just look at it and think, well, that looks awful. I would have been better just getting some normal wrapping paper and using a very small amount of sellotape. So have you got any clues, any suggestions on how to wrap things in brown paper and do it properly? Maybe I should have used string or ribbons or something. But then how do you keep it all down and not flapping up while you do the tying? Anyway, clearly that's something I, I need to need to consider. Now, this week is a bit different because last week I had to read seven books to make sure I got all the books done for uh, for the content for you. So I haven't had quite as much time this week. Obviously, I have had enough time to read the book of the author we're going to speak to. And it was an amazing book. And I can't wait to tell you more about that. Um, but then also, uh, there were some other books I wanted to talk to you about. So I've come up with something a little bit different. So see what you think. Um, basically, it goes along the the lines of, you know, when people get married, they say, oh, you have to have something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. And in fact, then some people say, add on to that and say a sixpence in your shoe. Well, there were some books that have the word sixpence in, but none on my bookshelves. But anyway, I'm waffling. So we've got something a little bit different coming up. So bear with on that one. But first of all, we have to talk about a really good book and a really good author. Not just the book that's good, it's the author that's good. This book is called Find You First 
by Linwood Barclay. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Linwood Barclay, um, a very well-known, highly rated author, um, bestseller, lots of great books. Um, got the Promise Fall series. Oh, we've got all sorts. The Elevator Pitch was the last one. And this is his latest one, which will be published this week. And I I really think it's one of his best, if not the best. Um, it's a great concept and uh, just delivered in a, in a really good way. So I'll read you the blurb first of all. You can hear me taking it out of the book, can't you? Uh, that's how well organised I am. So I'll read you the blurb first of all. And then we're going to speak to Linwood about this, about this book. So here we go. One will change your life. One will end it. Who will find you first? Tech billionaire Miles has more money than he can ever spend and everything he could dream of except time. Now facing a terminal illness, Miles know he knows he must seize every minute to put his life in order. And that means taking a long, hard look at his past. Somewhere out there, Miles has children and they might be about to inherit both the good and bad from him, possibly his fortune or possibly something more deadly. So Miles decides to track down his missing children. But a vicious killer is one step ahead of him. One by one, people are vanishing, not just disappearing. Every trace of them is wiped. It's a deadly race against time. And uh, yeah, that sums it up beautifully. So you've, you know, you've got this premise of this, this chap with who thinks he has everything and then gets the news that he's got a terminal illness. Um, and he has children. So it, it's the news he has to tell them. First of all, um, you know, I've got this illness and the implications of that. And then secondly, I've also got an awful lot of money and the implications of that. Um, but as you are going through it and meeting these different children, you know, as the reader, that there there is another person who is hunting them as well and uh, you just wonder who's going to get to them first uh, classic good versus bad i i thought it was really good twists and turns well paced beautifully paced it's a big book but you just don't feel it because you're just romping through it and i think one a lot of people will enjoy so uh, this is going to be a huge success um but enough about me let's talk to linwood now so, Linwood, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's nice to be here. Well, I I just love this book. I mean, I, I love all your books, but this is right at the top. I thought it was it, it was brilliant. And I know it's a predictable question to start with, but I have to I have to ask, where did you get the idea for this particular book? I think that the sort of origins of it were I was a, a big story in the New York Times um, uh, magazine, which was just kind of a photo essay, photo essay uh, of uh, someone who found out they had all these sort of half brothers and sisters and they went across the country to took pictures of them. And I think it was that piece that got me starting to think about uh, the story of, of Miles in this book, this sort of wealthy tech guy who's in his 40s, never been married and so forth finds out that he is um you know he's he's hasn't got that much longer mm. and so he sets out because you know unbeknownst to most people he was a sperm donor 20 some years ago so he wants to track down these these possible you know kids that he has and kind of let them know first of all get yourself checked and also i got nobody else to leave my money to mm. so i think that it was i think it was that story that maybe got that sort of the idea percolating 
And did you have a picture of the entire story once you started thinking about it, or did it take time to work out how that would develop? Uh, it took a little time to, to mull it over and think it through. But once I actually started writing it, I had those things figured out. So there was, um, there's a kind of, without wanting to give things away, there's a kind of parallel story that we keep coming back to that's happening in New York City throughout this novel. And that entire aspect of the novel was not, I didn't have that to begin with. And, and I knew as I started thinking about it that I needed another layer, another level of something going on. And once I had that worked out, I was away to the races, as they say. And the title, Find You First, I think it, in three words, it, it, it sums up the book, the premise of the book brilliantly, you know, the, the, yeah, the competition to get there. And we're and we have a kind of few words, at least in the uh, in the UK edition, that lead into that, which is that, you know, one will change your life, one will end it. Who will? And then find you first. Yes, which adds and, even more. Yeah. You know, in fact, the um, I think that my, my earlier sort of title that I pitched was, uh, if he finds you first, and then we thought. We like the we like the sentiment and we like the idea, but we thought it was a bit cumbersome. So we lost the if he uh, went with find you first. Uh, and it's perfect. It's quite a big book. It's about five hundred pages. But when I was reading it, it it was the pace was so strong that it felt more like a three hundred page book. You know, I wasn't aware that it it was um, taking longer because it was just so compelling. How did you keep that pace going throughout it? Well, I think it's the same I would hope for all of the books, which is that I think that a thriller really needs a good sense of momentum. And, and the way you do that is that every, every chapter is kind of a step forward. Every chapter is another kind of peeling of the onion. And, mm -hmm. and chapters are, it varies, but are relatively, they're not super long chapters. So you kind of get in and you have one sort of development and you go, wow, and then you just, you're right into another one. So I feel like that, and I think that, you know, the, uh, a thriller for me is a, is a big, huge stone rolling down a hill and the, and the closer you get to the bottom, the faster it's going. And, mm. and I worked out was the way we would, uh, it, it came together for this one. And it is a longer book. And I had a feeling it might be a little longer than some of the ones I've done. It's not the longest, but it's, I thought it might be a little longer because there's kind of, how do I, you know, there's a lot of balls in the air, right? You know, yes. I've already used the cliche, I'm spinning a lot of plates at once. And so you're moving back and forth between all these other, these storylines that are all going to ultimately connect. Mm. No, every every page has its place. So it's um, 500 important pages, <laughs> I, I I would say. At no point did I think, well, That's you not know. Scary. We won't scare people off by the length. Let's tell them that the font is huge. <laughs> and, uh, there's one word on every page that's all words per page uh, you'll be through it no time yeah absolutely did you alter the, the story in editing did, did you make any significant changes uh there was one character that i i kind of shaded a little differently that was probably the biggest change um who i would I'd call the villain in the novel i i did some some kind of amending there um, but otherwise, not a great deal. Uh, it was, it was, um, I've had books that were much more trouble in the editing process where I did an awful lot of rewriting. And in this one, it was, there was less. Uh, I think I had, I got it about 95% right the first time through. 
Is it a book that you think you could have written as one of your first few books, or do you think you'd you've had to have gone through the pain of other books? For this well, there's one? two aspects to that. First of all, some of the 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 uh, 10, 15 years ago, there's an aspect to this novel. We, we know we can now uh, send in our DNA and have it analyzed. Mm. We can find out who our relatives might be and so forth. And that's a very, that's a commercial service now. You see the ads on TV. So that, that wasn't around 15, 20 years mm, ago. True. Oh, and the fact that it wasn't around 15, 20 years ago was actually a major plot point in the novel. And so there was, from a technical point of view, this specific book wouldn't have been done. But in terms of just the the, the writing and and so forth, I think you 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 hope. It's not always it doesn't always work this way. You hope that every book you do will be better than the ones that come before, and because you want to, you always want to think that you're getting better, and you don't want to just start coasting. Although at one point I thought that's a great idea. How many books do you have to write? Before you can just <laughs> and and uh, so you want every book to be better, and you know, and every once in a while you'll do a book and you think, wow, this is the best one I've ever done. And then the next one you write, you think, well, this will get me by, but it's still not as good as that one I did two years ago. This one, I think, is is probably one of my my favorites. And I think perhaps because of what you mentioned earlier, it's that sense of momentum to it. It really, it really mm. moves. And it has, I think, uh, even maybe more than usual, I, I, some twists, a few extra twists that you don't anticipate. Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Surprises along the way, which is part of what a what a reader likes to have the unpredictability with all the books that you've written can you clearly remember each book is it a little bit like um a, a large family with each member of the family being slightly unique or is it quite hard with so many it's really funny because um you know i've done i do a book a year some years there were two i've been doing that since 2004 and and every once in a while you'll get an email from somebody saying on page 62 of this book <laughs> that you wrote in 2007, I don't understand why this character does this. And I'm thinking, I don't even remember that book. <laughs> and, and, but it's like my short-term memory is even worse because my wife, when she was reading the new book, uh, which she reads when we get the sort of advanced copies, I like her to read the sort of finished product. She was reading it and she said, what's happened with, and she named a character. And I said, which one is that? She said, it's your book. You just wrote that thing. <laughs> And I said, I actually wrote that about a year and a half ago, and my head is now 100% in the book that I'm writing now. And I said, and sometimes I can't remember the character names of, you know, I mean, it's like, like, you know, can you remember some detail of an interview you did two years ago? You know, it's, it's, you do kind of forget. It can kind of, it comes back once you get into it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. It's funny to pick up a book that you might have written 12 years ago when you're going through it and you're thinking, how did I ever think that up? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But no, you kind of, uh, you remember them, but not sometimes always in, in, in minute detail. Well, I can understand that because the book that you're writing at any time, you, you have to commit to it fully. You can't be thinking back to other books. So I can understand that the others well, fade. It's funny. We went to an, an event a couple of years ago uh, on stage where Stephen King was being interviewed by his son, Owen. And, and there was, they were giving him a Stephen King quiz. So they were asking Stephen King trivia questions from his own books. And he was like, um. <laughs> Gosh, that's hard. Yeah, there's a lot of, there is a lot of material there. So yeah. What's your favorite part of the writing process? Is it the getting of the ideas or the first draft or typing the end? The finish. Oh yeah, I love, I love finishing. <laughs> um, 
you know, when I finish a first draft or, or if I finish like a major step in the process and it's done and my desk isn't that messy anyway, but I just clean it all off. The desk is just, just pristine and I'm done. And I, I think that finishing is my favorite part. Um, by the worst part for me is when I first hand a book into my editors and my publishers and I wait to see what they think of it. To me, it's like waiting for test results from the doctor. Mm-hmm. It's like, how bad is it going to be? <laughs> am I am I going to live or should I get my affairs in order? And, uh, <laughs> so I, I find that part is a bit uh, nerve wracking, is waiting for that verdict. Uh, has the writing publishing world changed much since you first started publishing books? I think it has. Um, I don't know if it's changed a lot specifically for what I have to do, but we have seen a lot of changes. We first, we, the first was sort of the advent of eBooks, which kind of went crazy for a while. Mm. Then it kind of leveled off. And so we had that. And then we had, you know, we started losing bookstores and then some started coming back. And then we've had this massive, particular, you know, a, a, a um, merger of of publishers, you know, mm. these huge empires that are now getting together and consolidating resources. So we've seen changes in that way, in the industry that way. Um, I think that, you know, and I, and I kind of look at that and think, wow, you know, it's like all these giants walking around, which one is going to step on you? But in the meantime, <laughs> you keep, I just get my head down and I just, I write the books. And so it's impacted me a little less that way. But the industry as a whole, I think, has been going through a bit of a revolution. Mm. Yes, and I'm sure that will carry on. Uh, looking back over the last 12 months, it, it's fair to say there haven't been quite as many book events as uh, as a normal understatement of the year. Um, is that something you miss or secretly actually does it allow you just to get on with your, your job of you know, writing? Kind of both. Um, I Book tours are going to be kind of grueling, although I have to say that I, 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 you know, I do book tours a lot of times across the UK and, and Ireland, and I do them, I'll do book tours across the US. And US ones are always so much tougher because, you know, you fly every day and the, and the distances are great and there's racing to airports every morning at five o'clock. And it's like, so US tours are really exhausting and grueling. I really like UK tours because a lot of times you're just on a train or you can drive or you if, if, if you're flying, it's a relatively short hop. And so, and it's nice to be able to see people, you know, like mm. face to face and sign actual books in, for people and so forth. And that's nice. And I kind of miss that, but, but there are some aspects of the travel I have, I have, it's been kind of a nice break in that sense. And, and I've still done, you know, I think I've done, I've probably done 10 sort of book festival events that went online this year. And, you know, I had, I had the pleasure of, again, of Ada Beauty and Rankin for one and Harlan Coben for another and was, you know, with a bunch of people on some other Peter James and so forth. So we've had these connections and without mm-hmm. having to sit in an airport and eat really bad food. So, <laughs> so that part's a bonus. But, and I don't know what future book tours is. I don't know whether this, you know, they'll, they'll think, well, this has worked so well with doing mm-hmm. Zoom events and so forth. Maybe we don't need to spend all this money flying authors all over the place. But, mm-hmm. but I think that the that the public, the fans, like to be able to see authors in person. They like to get their books signed. So, I hope at some point we get back into that. Um, but I think it may 
I think that will evolve for sure. Yes, maybe there'll be a combination of both. So you don't yeah. automatically have to have to go out and about when you're writing. And for whatever reason, you find that your the words aren't coming as, as freely as you would like. Is is there a go to is, is it a cup of coffee or a chocolate biscuit or get out? What What's your go to? Well, it used to be. And of course, I have I have the, I have a whole rant that I do about so-called writer's block, you know, because I always think, well, do electricians get electricians block and do plumbers get plumbers <laughs> writers we are just we're just so precious that we have an entire condition to describe it's just <laughs> to work. Um, but but yes i think sometimes when you kind of get stuck on something it's good to walk away for a while it used to be when we had a house in the suburbs i found cutting grass was really good mowing the lawn was a really great way to free your head and suddenly you know you'd just you'd be cutting you'd be mowing on and then it would just like the, the solution <laughs> problem would come. um now we don't have much of a yard so i don't have to do that so it's now it's like well, well go for a walk or and of course I'm, my dark secret is that i'm a model train nut so i'll go down to the uh -huh. layout that i have in the basement and i'll just i'll just sort of i'll just let trains run around the room and it kind of go into this zen moment and sometimes that helps as well but you know, sometimes you just need to walk away. It's for a little while. And uh, it's kind of like when I play Scrabble on my phone and I'm trying to find the best word and I just can't see it. And I put the phone aside for a while and then I pick it up again and I look at it and the word is yeah. there. Yes. It's just, it's just there. So, but, uh, but, you know, I spent 20 or 30 years working in newspapers. So to me, writing is a job. You just get to work. You just suck it up and you get to work. Yes. And I do find that with authors who have previously been journalists, that they can just write wherever they are. Normally, they can just get on with it. It's not waiting for the creative craft to, to seize them. But, uh... I mean, imagine if you worked in a newspaper and you were to call your editor and say, you know, the news <laughs> just didn't strike me today. Yes. It's like, <laughs> that fire. You know, I just, come on. So it's, it's a job. And so I used to work. I just have this vision of you mowing the lawn and suddenly realizing what the name of the character is that you want and having to mow the name into your lawn so you don't forget it. <laughs> you know, I remember the most, there was a time when I was writing uh, the biggest book I ever had, which was that Richard and Judy book, book uh, Richard and Judy pick, No Time for Goodbye, in 2008 that came out and was their pick. And I, when I was writing that, I did hit. I hit a plot problem. I was trying to solve it. And I went and I literally, I went out and I cut the grass because it needed it. And I was about halfway through and I went, I, I had it. And um, so I guess what I should do now is if I have a, a plot problem, I should just hire myself out to the neighbors. Yes. You know, <laughs> but, you know like a little sign on the door, best-selling writer, lawn cutter. <laughs> what, could I just help you with something like that? But but may only cut half the lawn if the if the muse right. strikes. Just so you know, I might not get to the backyard. If I figured out my plot <laughs> problem in the front yard, you're on your own. I'm off. Yes. Well, I hope you f figure out more plots because the, these books are are just brilliant. And and find you first is a is a super book. So I wish you every success with it, Linwood. Thank you very much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure, Philip. I loved it. Well, wasn't that interesting? Really good to talk to Linwood. Um, and just looking forward to reading even more of his books, I, I think. So now we're coming on to this slightly strange thing for you where I've just I heard about someone doing this uh, and I thought it sounded like a good idea. So you have the saying, 
um, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. And you go through your bookshelves and select an item, a book for each part of that saying. So something old. And these are all that I've done that I haven't read yet. So they're not ones that I've read because you've heard me talking about all the ones I've read. So I thought I'd do something that I haven't read, but they're on my shelves. So they need to be read. And uh, something old, it's a book that I've acquired not that long ago, but it's a story that was written a long time ago, um, to the 1930s. And of course, it's a Daphne du Maurier. Um, you'll have heard me uh, reading and talking about Rebecca recently. This one is called My Cousin Rachel. And it's described as a masterpiece of tension. Um, but uh, yes, because it was written so long ago, I thought that would that would work for something old. Um, let, let's read the blurb and, and see what we think. Orphaned at an early age, Philip Ashley is raised by his benevolent cousin Ambrose. Resolutely single, Ambrose is delighted to make Philip his heir, safe in the knowledge that he will treasure his beautiful Cornish estate. But Philip's world is shattered when Ambrose sets off on a trip to Florence. There he falls in love and marries and then dies suddenly in suspicious circumstances. Before long, the new widow, Philip's cousin Rachel, arrives in England. Despite himself, Philip is drawn to the beautiful, mysterious woman. But could she be Ambrose's killer? Well, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk on this podcast anymore. I just want to go and read this book. That sounds amazing. 330 pages long, quite small font. So there's going to be quite a bit of reading, Philippa, but that just looks absolutely wonderful. Um, oh, actually, it wasn't written until the 90, early 1950. I thought it was some of the books she's written in the 1930s. So it must be one of her later ones. Um but doesn't that sound good? And in a way, it's not similar to Find Your First by Linwood Barclay. But, there, there, you know, there are some elements of that. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, uh, that's my something old offering. Um, and then we've got something new. And it's one of the books that has just been published um, uh, a few months ago. But it's one of the newest books that I've purchased myself. And it was a bit of a treat for me. And it's called Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline. Now, if you're into book reading or if you're into films, you will know about this book. Um, it's uh, done incredibly well as a, as a major movie uh, and the book as well. It was a great audio book. Um, I enjoyed listening to that too. And it was one that I listened to with no expectations. A friend had said, oh, yeah, you should um, you should read Ready Player One. And I remember it was when I was walking the dog and it was really icy and I was having to focus on not slipping and breaking my neck. And yet uh, taking in this this incredible story and I actually stopped worrying about where I was walking and how I was going to be because, because I was just so taken into this story. Um, so Ready Player One uh, was set sort of slightly in the future, slightly dystopian. Um, and it's about a, a guy who has made a lot of money in technology and he dies and he leaves what we call an Easter egg. So there were there was a competition, basically, to uncover certain secrets to claim a prize. That's effectively what it is, a treasure hunt, but more online. Um, and I think particularly if you're a fan of the sort of um, 70s, 80s, it, there was a lot to it that was just um, just some really good, you know, nice memories. And this is the follow on. 
Now, I've heard, let's be honest, I've heard great things about this book and I've heard not great things about this book. So I'm going in with um, no assumptions as to how amazing it's going to be. Although, as I say that, actually, do you know what? I, I really want to enjoy it. So I, oh, I hope it delivers. Let's read the blurb. An unexpected guest, two worlds at stake. Are you ready? Days after winning, Oasis founder James Halliday's contest, Wade Watts makes a discovery that changes everything. Hidden within Halliday's vaults, waiting for his heir to find, lies a technological advancement that will once again change the world and make the Oasis a thousand times more wondrous and addictive than even Wade dreamed possible. With it comes a new riddle and a new quest, a last Easter egg from Halliday hinting at a mysterious prize and an unexpected, impossibly powerful and dangerous new rival awaits, one who will kill millions to get what he wants. Way's life and future of the Oasis are again at stake, but this time the fate of humanity also hangs in the balance. Lovingly nostalgic and wildly original as only Ernest Cline could conceive it, Ready Player Two takes us on another imaginative, fun, action-packed adventure through his beloved virtual universe and jolts us thrillingly into the future once again. You see, now I've read that, I want to read that one as well. And that's about 360 pages, 370 and quite a small font. I don't know why that matters. I did find a book from my childhood recently. Um, there was actually three books in one and I've written on the front cover how many pages in each of the three books. So I should post that on online because it just shows how page numbers have always been important to me. I really want to read this book, but I really don't want to be disappointed. It's very hard coming out with a, a follow on to something that's just been um, so incredibly well received. Uh, I've got high hopes, but I've got high worries, if that makes sense. But I think I think it's going to be good. Just go in with low expectations or lower expectations. I suppose like we did with the first book. And maybe that's it. Maybe you read a book and you, you're not sure what to expect and it just blows your mind. It's different. It's challenging. It's enjoyable. It's fun. Um, and so maybe we need to take ourselves back to that sort of ground zero point with the second book instead of assuming what it what it might have and what the story might be. So there we go. So that's my something new. So my something old was My Cousin Rachel by Daphne du Maurier. My something new is Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein. Something borrowed. Now, I don't like borrowing books because I fear I will not get round to reading them for years and give them and not give them back promptly, which I don't like when I lend books. Although if my mother's listening, you've got about 3000 of mine. So I'd like them back at some point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that sounded a bit cruel. I didn't mean it like that. Um, I just think they might have to build an extension to their house to house all the books. Oh, isn't it lovely, though, that we can talk all books? Anyway, so I don't have many books that I have borrowed, but I have one and I am aware that I need to read this book and get it back. Um, this was lent to me by my friend Lynn and she said I should, uh, it's part of a crime series, first one, and she thought I'd enjoy it. So she thought I should have a read of it. It's called Death Undercover by Martin Walker. Um, let's read the blurb on this one. The body of a French Muslim policeman is discovered in the woods near St. Denis. Or, uh, that should be in a French ac accent, shouldn't it? St. Denis. The victim had contacted Bruno, the local town cop, for help only hours before. But Bruno's sometime boss and rival, the brigadier, doesn't see this investigation as a priority. 
Meanwhile, a Muslim youth named Sami arrives at a French army base in Afghanistan, hoping to get home to St Denis. One of Bruno's old army comrades helps to smuggle Sami back to France, but the FBI and a media firestorm aren't far behind. Amidst pressure from his bosses, Bruno must find his own way to protect his town and its people. Well, that sounds very good, but it doesn't sound like it's the first in the series. Oh my goodness, we've got a map. I'm looking in the front and we've got a map. Love a map. Um, oh yes, it does look like there's quite a few um, as well of, of these. So if you do like a series, um, it's, a, it's a good one. It sounds very interesting. I think I need to just get on and read it. And I do feel guilty when I, when I don't read books straight away and give them back. So Lynn, if you're listening, my apologies. It sounds great and I need to get on and, and read it. So that's my borrowed Death Undercover by Martin Walker. So there we go. And we've got one last book, Something Blue. Now, I had two ways of doing it. I could go for something a little bit naughty, which I'm not going to do, or I could go for something the colour blue. My problem is I've got lots and lots of blue books and I found it very hard to choose. In fact, I'm just I've just turned as I'm saying this and I'm looking at the other blue books on the bookshelves who are saying, what about me? And I'm looking at them and thinking, yes, there's so many different ones. But this is one that I've um, had for some months and I would I just want to sit down and read it and and I need to so it's going to be interesting to see over the next few weeks which of these I've I've read at the moment I feel like I want to read all of them but anyway so this book which is in hardback um, and the cover the, the naked cover underneath is red but my cover is blue and it's Hamlet by Maggie O'Farrell I'm sure a, a, a lot of you have heard about this book um, but it's supposed to be amazing. It's supposed to be very emotional, really upsetting um, and incredible. So let's let's read the blurb. On a summer's day in 1596, a young girl in Stratford-upon-Avon takes to her bed with a fever. Her twin brother Hamnet searches everywhere for help. Why is nobody at home? Their mother Agnes is over a mile away in a garden where she grows medicinal herbs. Their father is working in London. Neither parent knows that one of the children will not survive the week. Hamnet is a novel inspired by the son of a famous playwright. It is a story of the bond between twins and of a marriage pushed to the brink by grief. It is also the story of a kestrel and its mistress, a flea that boards a ship in Alexandria and a glovemaker's son who flouts convention in pursuit of the woman he loves. Above all, it is the tender reimagining of a boy whose life has been all but forgotten, but whose name was given to one of the most celebrated plays ever written. Um, so clearly this is about William Shakespeare's son and it's strange, and I've heard people say it, it's strange that you know the child's going to die at the beginning. So it's not a case of, oh, I'm reading this book to find out if they stay alive. You know this is going to happen. And yet, apparently, the book is incredible. Um, it seems to me to be one where you just need a bit of quiet reflection to be able to read it. It's not one that you can just zip through. And I do enjoy Maggie O'Farrell's writing. I think she's just extraordinary. Um, and her words are to be savoured, really. Uh, so I, I just want to read that. And the cover design is absolutely gorgeous. So those are four books that I want to read immediately. So, um, yeah, have a look yourselves at your bookshelves. If you're wondering what book to read next, have a look for uh, something uh, old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. 
and uh, select four books on that basis and let me know because I love hearing from you so let me know what books you've chosen and uh, whether it worked just going for something different I don't think I'd have automatically got these four books out if if I thought right what am I going to read next so it is a good way of just looking at your bookshelves a little bit differently so my cousin Rachel by Daphne du Maurier that's my something old uh, Re ready player two by Ernest Klein that's my something new um, something borrowed is death undercover by Martin Walker thank you Lynn and something blue which is uh, Hamnet by Maggie Farrell so there we go. And of course, we mustn't forget the wonderful book, Find You First by Linwood Barclay, which is out this week. Um, good book. So I think we've covered quite a lot, actually. Now, you know how to get in contact with me. But just in case, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as QuickBook Reviews. And you can email me at QuickBookReviews at Outlook.com. Um, we've got lots of fantastic books to talk to you about next week. Fantastic author interview. There's a lot to cover. So I'm going to leave you now um, to get reading. <laughs> and uh, I hope you're all right. And I'll speak to you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.